If you're listening to this, you probably already know what I'm about to say, that today is the day for you to start your podcast. You have everything that you need, your computer, a little microphone, and Spotify for podcasters. It is the all-in-one platform where you can host, edit, and record your podcast and distribute it everywhere. Where you're listening right now, you can have your podcast there. I promise, for real. And it's free. And you can make some money off of your podcast for free. Free money. Free money is out there. Just go get it by starting your podcast today. This week's episode of Sisters Who Kill is brought to you by Sip and Slay. Sip and Slay was founded by Miss Classy James. Classy is a black woman in tech and she is a serial entrepreneur. If she's not dodging negativity, working on herself, or inspiring others, she is slaying her goals. Sip and Slay was created out of love positive vibes, and a desire to provide quality herbal remedies that can help the body from the inside out. It's full of a whole bunch of spiritual shit, y'all. Y'all, the website has everything you need. So many loose leaf teas, mugs, bath teas, sage, anything you need. Tazzy and I got the positive vibes tea kit. So we got like the entire bundle, y'all. When I tell you this tea smells so good and it tastes even better and it comes with a crystal, to just keep you grounded. That's the type of stuff I like. So if you want to sip on some tea while you sipping on the tea of Sisters Who Kill, make sure you check out Sip and Slay for all your herbal remedies because life is like a cup of tea. It's all about how you make it. Now, on to the show. What's going on, everybody? I'm Marab. And I'm Tess. And welcome back to Sisters Who Kill. Okay, when you think of a serial killer, what do you think of? Ted Bundy, Ed Kemper, Israel Keys usually creepy looking white men, right? Well, this week's murderess puts a whole new spin on serial killer. So, our players this week are Lonnie Laws, our 79-year-old victim, Caesar Zuell, our 64-year-old victim, Mary Harris, our 97-year-old victim, and Dorothy Williams, our murderess. Williams was born December 24th, 1952 in Chicago, Illinois. Illinois, not Illinois. So sorry we <laughs> said it with an S in one of our previous episodes. We got like five people to call us out on that. Chicago, Illinois to her mother, Annie Pearl Williams. Her father was absent her entire life, so we don't even know his name. But she did have two siblings, her brother John and her sister Peggy. Dorothy had a pretty hard upcoming, especially school-wise. She had to do the second grade two times. She was 11 years old when she was in the fourth grade, and she also had to do fifth grade twice. She was expelled from the Woodson School in 1964, And after she got pregnant with her daughter, Tarika, she was expelled from a school that was specifically designed for pregnant girls. After she got expelled from that school, she officially dropped out. And at the age of 14, she was a mother and addicted to crack cocaine and heroin. I can't imagine doing any drugs at the age of 14. I was just like rolling up tree leaves. Literally notebook paper. (laughs) Yana was just telling me about y'all rolling up notebook paper downstairs. (laughs) Roll up notebook paper and like that shit. But no, I could not imagine. 
I can't either. Nonetheless, being addicted. See them hard drugs. They start to fuck with your teeth. And I got to think about my teeth. I like my smile. I do. Anyways, when she was 17, she gave birth to her son, Terrence. Now, like we said, she dropped out of school really early. But here's the thing. She didn't even know how to read nor write. She never had a job. She didn't even know her social security number. Her sister, Peggy, helped her with pretty much everything that involved reading and writing, which is literally everything until Peggy unfortunately died in 1988 when Dorothy was 36 years old. So imagine being also 36 and so dependent on your sister. It probably didn't bother her now. So Miss Dorothy was developing quite a bit of a record. In May 1973, she was arrested for, they say, causing a disturbance. But while she's getting arrested, like, she's really fighting it. And she is punching and she's kicking the cops. And they arrest her, convict her, and they find her for resisting arrest, which I'm surprised that's all she got charged with. So then, just five months later, she has this incident with this woman named Emma Lipsy, right? So... I don't know what the hell her and she was getting into it about, but Emma says this woman done knocked her upside the face with an 18-inch milk cart and knocked out two of her teeth. And broke two of her teeth. I'm telling you, I really have a thing about my teeth. Like, I have anxiety about my teeth falling out. It's really a thing. Ooh. I, like, <laughs> so I'm watching A Thousand Pound Sisters, and uh, Tammy is missing a tooth. If y'all watch A Thousand Pound Sisters. Anyways. Finally, she told how she lost the tooth. And I thought it was something to do with like a medical thing or something like that. And she was like, no. In like third grade, she was walking in the cafeteria, tripped, fell, bust her face in the middle of the cafeteria, knocked her tooth out. And they grew up poor and her mother could never afford to get her a new tooth. Uh, that's and what I was I'm like, afraid of. Like, and she was like, I was always overweight. And now I have a lost tooth in the third grade. You know, that shit follows you. I, I would have been pissed. To say the least. Yes. Because don't mess up the moneymaker. Your broke ass can't afford to fix it. So then in 1975, she was arrested for delivering possession of weed. Um, She had 18 months probation and got a $200 fine. Okay. So like 10, 11 years later, um, she started spending a lot of time down at the Chicago Housing Authority. This housing authority was specifically for elderly people, right? So, like, an old folk home. And she would panhandle around here. You know, she was selling anything that you needed, you know. She run your errands. She asked for a little glass of water. She might even have a little sex with you, for you know, for the right price. Do something strange for a little piece of change. You know what I'm saying? So She was the OnlyFans before OnlyFans. You know what I mean? Um... I feel like every every little project has that person. All you have to do is pay that nigga a little case of beer, maybe two tall boys. Mm-hmm. Listen, they will have your house sparkling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she uh she was she was that panhandler around these elderly homes. So there was this guy living in there, Mr. Jasper Irving, right? So on January eleventh, nineteen eighty six, there was this guy in the the elderly home, Mr. Jasper Irving. Jasper was 71 years old, and he used a walker to get around, right? Real feeble man, right? So she knocks on his door, and she's like, hey, man, give me some money to get some beer. And he gives her $2. And she's like, this ain't enough. So he do like Smokey Mama, and he said, make it enough. (laughs) (laughs) 
and she made it enough. She started roughing him up or whatever and took whatever money he had left in his pockets, and she left. He called the cops, and they brought her in a week later. Mm -hmm. He identified her. She was arrested. She got out on bond, but she never quite showed for court. What can Jasper do? Um, But this was like the beginning of the documentation of Dorothy's Conways. You know what I mean? Right. She had been going at it for a while, but now she's getting a little caught up. Right. So, I mean, what could she do? The streets of Chicago were hard. Yeah, the streets of Chicago were extremely hard, especially in the 80s. They were known for violence in the community, and the elderly were not exempt from being victims, okay? The senior citizen division of the Chicago Housing Authority was getting hit with robberies left and right, okay? A resident told the Chicago Tribune in 1987, he said, every third of the month, somebody gets robbed, it never fails. He said they get robbed on the elevator, or they get robbed coming from the currency exchange, because that's where they cash their social security checks, so... The third, when the social security check hit, somebody is getting hit, okay? Mm. This Chicago Tribune article came out right after a resident, 79-year-old Lonnie Laws, was found in his apartment, dead, with his own belt tied around his neck. The police come, they investigate, and the only thing left was some fingerprints, but they really had nothing else. The police, of course, took the fingerprints and hoping that they'll find somebody to compare them with. His ex-wife is who found him dead and said that he was quiet and he kept to himself mostly. And this really shook the residents, especially since the case started turning ice cold. So this is the next year, December of 1988, and the body of 64-year-old Caesar Zarell was found in his apartment so badly decomposed. They said that it was so bad <laughs> that when the police arrived, they had to come out, make a call, and they were like, hey, y'all need to get us some air tanks or something because the smell was just that bad yeah i've never smelled decomposing body but they say like once you smell it you'll never forget it and you'll know it when you smell it again but once again so the house was ransacked there was no <laughs> money and there was no money and just a couple fingerprints left so once again they take the fingerprints and they're on their merry way then the next year in 1989 but it was, it was in july of 1989 miss mary harris was found in her apartment by her daughter with her pink scarf tied around her neck, dead by strangulation. When her daughter looked around and looked through the house, she noticed that, of course, the money was gone. It was ransacked. Uh, but she also noticed that the stereo system that she just purchased for her mother was also missing. Again, fingerprints were found. And this murder is also similar to the others because they could tell in all three that there was no sign of forced entry. You know, no door kicked in, no lock pick, no window broken or anything like that. But for this one, the neighbor of Mary said, he was like, look, I saw somebody leave her apartment with a box. Hmm. Who could that be? Again, no one could find anything <clears throat> about the case as of yet. So on April 4th, 1989, she robbed one Miss Mary Foster. And remember back when we talked about her arrest, her being arrested for robbing Jasper Irving and getting out the, on the same day exactly three years later she goes back to jasper irving's house apartment and she tells him that she's checking on a gas leak and he cracks the door open because you know he just been robbed so he cracks the door open and as soon as he cracks the door open she pushes her way through she pushes him on the floor she's beating him with a stick so hard that it fractures his skull she's like dragging him around the apartment like 
I don't know what I'm going to do with you. I don't know what I'm going to do with you. That just, it reminds me of like getting in trouble by your mom. She's just like, I don't, don't know what the fuck I'm going to do with you. Like, I just don't know what, how to, how I'm going to fucking kill you and get away with it. Like, I don't fucking know. And so she's like, I'm just going to fucking rob him. And he's like, look, I got $260 and that's all I got on me. That's all the cash I got, got on me. And she's like, tell me where it is and I'm going to get it. She grabs the cash. She grabs his keys to his apartment and then she leaves. She doesn't kill him. And once again, Jasper calls the police. She's arrested. He identifies her. She's bonded out. A court date is set. And once again, she never made it to court. It'd be shit like that to have niggas be like, fuck the cop. Why am I calling the cops? Right. If every time I come here, I'm finding this girl, bringing her to you. Y'all arrest her and just let her go. For her to come and terrorize me again. We were listening to this one podcast about uh, Dorothy. And one of the hosts is white. One is black. One is white. And the white host was like, oh, yeah, my brother does that all the time. Like, he gets arrested. He bonds out. He doesn't go to court. He gets arrested. He bonds out. He doesn't go to court. And I'm like, wow, that's some real white folk shit. But I guess Dorothy is ahead of her time, I guess. With, I mean, I think niggas get away with it all the time. You think so? I'm sure they do. Because... There's just, for just certain some- space in the jail, and they save that space for certain things. And so, like, it's niggas out there with hella warrants. And I be wondering, how do you get hella warrants? Because after the first warrant, aren't you wanted? Mm-hmm. How did they issue another one without taking you? But you know niggas with hella warrants. I do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, it happens. It does. So, on July 4th of the same year, she goes and she robs a man named Frederick Adamson. Now, this is her third time, not one, not two, but third time robbing this man. You're talking about terrorizing. Because a robbery really disrupts your peace of mind. It really does. And having it happen three times, like once a year I'm getting robbed, or I know that every six, I'm going to get robbed every quarter. Like, knowing that if I, the anxiety, like, knowing that the third of each month is when you get paid, (laughs) your, your little social security check. And you got to, like, really hold it close. Really hold it close. And, I mean, I it makes me think about the Daphne Wright episode from way, way back. And it's like, sometimes that's all you got to live off of. Mm-hmm. But this time, when she robbed Frederick, she was also, once again, torturing him, beating him. And she, like, took his tongue and was pulling it out of his mouth, head, demanding money, demanding him to give her anything that he had. Like, pulling the tongue out. Disgusting torture where is that where you go how is that where you go for torture like i'm gonna grab your tongue and pull it out your mouth i mean the one time that, that i got is my some weird shit bro the one time that i got my tongue pierced it was very uncomfortable like yeah just the clamp on your tongue exactly but who who goes for that like and on august 2nd 1989 our good dorothy williams was arrested again because she was trespassing on different chicago housing authority property not this elderly home but a different one and when she was arrested she claimed that her name was Peggy, her deceased sister. She said she was Peggy. They let her out. And once again, she was on the street. I don't know how many times. How do you let somebody? Don't they do something when you get arrested to know who you are? Like once you're arrested, aren't you in a system? Or am I just too far advanced because it's 1989? It depends. I think it depends. And so, one, I think the issue was maybe they looked up Peggy and Peggy didn't have no record or whatever, or Peggy didn't have no issues. But two, you don't always get fingerprinted. 
based on the severity of the crime. I got fingerprinted and I didn't even get arrested. But the first time I got arrested, I didn't get fingerprinted. All right. Okay, so it's September 6, 1989, right? And there's this lady, Officer Betty Woods, and she's a plainclothes officer providing her services to the nursing home or to the elderly home, right? Mm -hmm. It's not at the goodness of her heart or anything. She was assigned this. This is her duty, right? So it's around 1130, and Mr. Huber Carmer, the neighbor who, who, who saw Dorothy leave, with a box. With a box, right? Mm -hmm. So he comes hollering on down to Officer Betty, and he's like, it's her. It's the lady I seen with the box leaving Mary room. She leaving a bus stop with some other woman. You need to go get her. Go get her. He said, he told Officer Betty, he's like, I used to see her all the time, but it stopped a little after Mary died. Now she got on glasses and undyed her hair. She think I don't know it's her, but I know it's her. And he also said that he's seen her slapping around some other. Mm -hmm. He was like, when I first moved in here, I saw her slapping around another resident, so I know it's her. I know it's her. She always up here causing trouble. So Officer Betty goes to the woman, and she's like, hey, I am a cop. Uh, I would like to talk to you guys. And Dorothy introduces herself as one Deborah Williams. Whole new persona. She already used Peggy, I guess. Yeah. So her friend is Michelle McBride. Also, if she went in as Peggy, right? Mm -hmm. And her finger, if she did get fingerprints, they would have went under as Peggy. Well, I guess at this time it's not really scanned. You're no, it's, doing it's, it by ink. Yeah. Mm. And a Rolodex or something. Right. Terrible, terrible filings. Okay. So she asked who the friend is. The friend is Michelle McBride. So the detective is like, yeah, do you ladies mind if I get an officer down here to talk to you about this case we have going on? And they're like, Oh, no, that should be fine. So she tries to call, and the detectives are like, look, we're busy. You're going to have to bring him down here. She was like, actually, would you guys mind going down to the station with me? And for whatever reason, they still agreed. So they go down to the station, and Officer Betty leaves them with Detective Edward Smith. He's the detective on the case. And he talks to the few for just a few minutes, and he's like, uh, Mrs. McBride, can you step out, please? He's like, you're you're not pertinent to this case. We're not going to waste any more of your time. You leave. You, Miss Williams, let's talk. So they start a conversation around 1.15, 1.30, and it lasts about 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And throughout the conversation, he's basically asking, he's like, when's the last time you've been in that CHA building? And she was like, oh, it's been years. CHA? I, right. I, long, long time ago. He's like, have you heard of a Mrs. Mary Harris? And she's like, who? I don't know that woman. And they're like, all right. They go talk to Mr. Hubert. And they're like, listen, she says she hasn't been there in years. And she doesn't know this woman. He said, I saw her there yesterday. But I also, like, that's where she just got picked up from. <laughs> <laughs> from the bus stop. Close enough that he could see. I Circumstantial, bro. He might have had them good eyes. They don't make eyeballs like they used to. Right. <laughs> so... Around 2 o'clock, they go back to her, and they're like, hey, could you do us a favor? Could you sign this form, and it's just going to let us go to your house and just check and make sure everything's all right? And she signs it. She signs it, Deborah Williams. They go to her house, and they find themselves a stereo, a nice, a nice stereo. 
and the two speakers to go with it. Mm-hmm. A little after three, they go back and they talk to her for about five more minutes. They're like, hey, where'd you get this stereo from? She says, oh, I got it hot off the street. You know, <laughs> listen, I have a T-shirt from this nigga. He has a brand called Buy Lambo. I have a T-shirt. It says still something. I'll buy it. <laughs> Support your local boosters. Okay. Because that's how it would be, bro. So she says she got it hot off the street. Can't tell you who. Can't tell you where he's at, but a man sold it to me about a month ago. He's like, so would you mind going on a polygraph and giving us your fingerprints? She says, sure. They get her fingerprints around 630. They transport her to the polygraph place, and she fails the polygraph test. Surprise, surprise. And her fingerprints match two prints at Mary's house. So around 8.30, they formally arrest Dorothy for the murder of Mary Harris. Now, after being under arrest, she tries to stick to her story, but they're like, girl, we've got the fingerprints, we've got the stereo, we've got a lot of evidence against you. She says, I, so here's what happened. I was with this man named Clyde, and when I went in there, we just went to talk to her, and Clyde strangled her to death, and then... He carried out the stereo and the speakers, and he let me have it. Right. She didn't carry it out. He did. He did. That was awfully nice of Mr. Clyde. Mm-hmm. So, they was like, girl, listen, you've been seen alone. You carrying the boxes. You were the one who did this. She's like, fine. It was me. I dropped the screw in the tuna. So, yeah, she was like, it was all me. So, on September 7th, the next day, she makes it on record about just what went down during Mary's murder. We are extremely excited about our sponsor this week, Jewel, from Jewel's Views on YouTube. Y'all, I'm going to be straight up with you. Tazzy and I are not YouTube people. So, when Jules reached out to us, we were like, uh, I'm not sure. But I have binged all of her videos first of all she's a Taurus like me second of all she has so many videos that are just relatable to the millennial talking about life and how to get through and how to overcome life after graduation life being broke life wanting to aspire to be the rich auntie I love her videos she's hilarious and you should definitely check her out Y'all be wanting us on YouTube and it's not going to happen. But while you're on YouTube, check out my girl Jewel and Jewel's views. All of her information will be in the description box below. I promise you it is worth it. Now, back to the show. Okay, now Miss Mary Harris was a 97-year-old black woman who stood about 5'3 and weighed 99 pounds wet. But she was still in good health. She lived in this senior housing authority building, and she had been there since the late 60s, early 70s. Well, on July 25th, 1989, around 9.30 a.m., Mary's daughter, Marion, that's how you know they black, Mm -hmm. because they made their names match. Mm -hmm. Mary's daughter, Marion, came to visit. Mary was wearing her pink bandana over her head, and Marianne stayed for about five hours, leaving around 2.30. So... Dorothy, you know, running through these housing authorities looking for her next little come up. As she do. As she does. She goes over to Mary's house and she's like, hello, Mary. 
So her and Mary are chit-chatting up a little bit. And she offers, you know, do a little favor or something for Mary. And Mary's like, you know what? I do need some milk. And she's like, hold on. Let me go. Let me go get the $2 out of my purse. And she turns to go get $2 out of her purse. And Dorothy grabs her from the back, arms around her waist, and muffles her trying to get her quiet. Mm-hmm. So Mary starts screaming, let me go, let me go. She's scratching Dorothy, just trying to do everything for her little body just to get free. She she don't weigh but nothing, you know. Right. She's, She's just, just a, a little, little person. Thing. <laughs> so Dorothy grabs the bandana or the rag from top of her head and stuffs it in Mary's mouth so that she can't scream. And Mary's trying to get it off and she can't. And Dorothy takes the bandana and she wraps it around her and she ties it around her neck. And she's pulling it for about 30 seconds. And then Mary faints. Dorothy throws her on the bed. And she grabs the little realistic clarinet 16 stereo with the two speakers, a bedspread, in a box, and left. They said that when they found her, it wasn't just tied around her neck. It was almost, at least from the court documents, it sounded like almost her chin was also tied into it. So it went around her neck and her chin was like tucked into that bandana. Mm. Which is even more painful. Yeah, they also said they found her with two black eyes. And the knot was in the front, so probably like sitting right on her throat. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, and and the house was just a mess. And Mary's, I mean, and Dorothy says, well, you know, I was looking for money. Yeah. So the cops are like, you know, thanks for telling the truth and all. But, uh. He's like, so listen, the way you left this scene at Mary's house is looking real similar to how we found Mr. Lonnie Law's house. Now, you haven't known anything about that? So she was like, actually, I do know a Lonnie Laws from around the same area. As a matter of fact, he was one of my Johns, one of the people that I was, you know, getting money from for sexual favors because that's what she was doing mm-hmm. around the building. She was also not just robbing. She was also prostituting around the building because the old men. Are- and, hey, the loving don't stop. You know what I'm saying? They got needs. <laughs> I'm sure they do. But Lonnie was still, even though he was 79, he was a small guy. He was about five foot five. He's about 97 pounds. So a really small guy. So she's like, all right, baby, what you want to do? You, you know. And he's like, all right, you know, I'm about to buy some of this loving. They trade services. And when it's time to pay, he owes her $50. And he's like, nah, I'm not going to pay you. And she's like, yeah, you're going to pay me. He's like, no, I'm not going to pay you. So she gets pissed. Yes, you are about to fucking pay me. And then she goes and she grabs two pieces of clothing, wraps it around him and starts strangling him. Then she takes his own belt, wraps it around his neck, just starts yanking at it, strangling him once again. She ran through the apartment, looked for anything that she could find, money, goods, anything that she could find, and she left. The fingerprints that were found at the apartment, remember we said the only thing found at the apartment were fingerprints, just so happened to match Miss Dorothy Williams. And they're like, okay, so let's see if these fingerprints, let's see if we can, we got two for two, let's see if we can get three for three. There's another murder. As we know, Caesar Zarell, that was 64. And let's see if those fingerprints match there. She's like, don't even worry about it. Yes, they do once again. So he calls her over. He wants some of that good, good. And she's like, all right, you already know. I'm coming through. She goes and she buys a pint of whiskey, you know, a little liquid courage while she's going to do her job. And then she heads to the house. 
She does her exchange of services once again. She's like, okay, the price is $50. And he's like, I ain't got it. You're going to have to come back and get it. And she's like, no, motherfucker, you finna pay me. Especially you call me over here. You should have my money ready. He said, I got you. I got you. I'm, I'm, I'm finna. So she gets pissed. Once again, no, you're finna pay me right now. I know you got the motherfucking money. He gets scared. So he goes and he turns around. He pulls out his pocket knife. He's like, bitch, don't step closer. She somehow grabs the pocket knife from him and stabs him. Somehow. Nigga is what? Well, he was seven pounds. <laughs> he was also very small. He was also five foot five. And he was also five five. But he was a little bit bigger in stature. However, she didn't strangle him. She took that pocket knife and she stabbed him three times and lacerated his lug with that with one of those stabs. She then took $87 out of his wallet and ransacked the house yet again and left. And remember, Caesar's body was the one that was found really badly decomposed and disgusting. So she was arrested and they get ready to go to trial in 1991. Now, when they go to trial, the defense has nothing nada they present no evidence they don't help out pretty much in any way at all and the prosecution though they had quite a bit to say the prosecution argued that listen she was preying on and abusing the elderly all of this time for years and then there were also quite a few witnesses there was herbert carmichael who lived in the same building and testified the same day and the one that said he saw her he said that he saw her that he was standing in his day room at about 6.30 on July 25th, 1989. And he said he saw Dorothy leaving the building alone, carrying a box big enough to carry a stereo. And he said, look, I had seen her a number of times. I've seen her choke. I've seen her slap around. I know who she is. No fake glasses and red hair is going to fool me, okay? Then we had Willie Shelby, who also lived in the same building, who saw her that same day as well, who said, oh, she left around 6 o'clock. 6 o'clock, 6.30. It's a big difference, but not too big for old she folks. She was probably mind. roaming them halls. She was probably roaming those hallways, right. They also presented that they found Dorothy's fingerprints on five things inside of Mary's apartment. And the stereo was found at her home. And she confessed in front of a court reporter. Now, the medical examiner, of course, testified and said that Mary had two black eyes, probably from being hit. And Mary's high-up bone was fractured, and she had a ligature mark around her neck. Now, the, now, the hyoid bone is a bone that's in your neck, and it's pretty fragile, but it is how they really can determine if the cause of death is the strangulation because it's easily broken and almost all the time broken when strangulation is the cause of death. After the trial was done on March 12, 1991, found Dorothy Williams guilty of first-degree murder and robbery. During sentencing, her daughter and her mother testified on her behalf, you know, always pleading, begging, trying to give their loved one a lighter sentence. And Dorothy said absolutely nothing. Her daughter said that, listen, my mom raised me in a normal, happy upbringing. Like, But here's the thing. Her daughter in 1992... So not too far off the next year, Shakira was arrested for assault and battery of an 80 year old man, 80 year old man in which her mother introduced her to. So Apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. So 
So y'all remember Emma Lipsy from the beginning of the episode, the one that said she got knocked out by a milk crate, two front teeth gone. Remember, we had that conversation. So she also testified during the court proceedings and she talked about the incident. Literally, she said she hit me with a milk crate and Dorothy, I guess it pissed Dorothy off because they was trying her gangster and Dorothy held up her right hand. She said, I hit her with my fist. Because if you're going to tell the story, tell it right. If you're going to tell the story, tell it right. Exactly. So she was like, look, that's... I ain't hit you with nothing but these hands, okay? So Judge Shelvin Singer sentenced Dorothy to death for the first-degree murder of Mary and robbery on April 18, 1991. After she was convicted for Mary's murder, she pled guilty to all of the other charges, which was armed robbery, which held a sentence of 30 years, robbery, which held a sentence of seven years, two additional counts of murder for Caesar and Lonnie, which both held a life sentence, housed at the Logan Correctional Center. So, in June 1995 is when Dorothy filed her first post-conviction petition, basically trying to say she didn't have a fair trial. And her arguments were that she was mentally challenged. She was like, check this out. I've got this bump right here above my eyebrow. It's because I got hit by a car when I was 12. And so... Mine's not too good, and I don't necessarily think that I was fit to stand trial. She's like, I can't hardly read. You know, I I got low IQ. I ain't know nothing was going on. I ain't know what I was doing when I signed that Miranda waiver. I know what I was doing when I signed that search warrant. What do, what do I know? I'm brain damaged, you know? After learning that she has this brain injury, they're like, okay, listen, I want you to be on trial for your hearings but I want to make sure that you're fit for these trials. So before we figure out if you were fit for the last trials, we need to figure out if you're fit for this one. She gets in front of Dr. Linda Witzel, and she's like, I've performed several tests um, on her intellectual function, and it seems like she could actually be experiencing some long-term effects from that car accident. And it seems that she could have diminished intellectual levels. Her capacity to understand or remember things are limited and that includes things that her lawyer may have told her right they're like ah, we don't know she's like i for one don't know if she was fit to stand trial right so they're like y'all need to dig deeper into this and they did and they researched for about three years in may 1998 they started the hearings to see if she was fit for the post-conviction proceedings so fit to face her appeals, right? So um, basically in this proceeding, he was like, listen, if she's fit, I want her to be here. And if she's not fit, I want us, you know, we wouldn't make her be here. But she's fit. And he gets these two doctors up and they're like, listen, we tested her. One's, one's a clinical director and one's a chief psychologist. And they're like, listen, back in 95, I would have told you that she wasn't competent. But looking at it now and all this research that we've done, I'm thinking that she is. Her IQ scores were so different. Like, she always scored low on her IQs, like normally low. But but the discrepancies were so big in between the two. Like, it was ranging from, like, 50-something to 70-something. And there was, like, there wouldn't be that much variation in your two difference. Like, she's she's low on it but they don't think she's below they think anything that she did below was an effort to cheat 
mm-hmm. and make it lower to help her case. Basically, they're like, you're a liar. I mean, I get that. But do you remember when we were in high school and the night before the SAT or no, the night before the ACT is when we won the state championship? I didn't take Did the you ACT. Take it? Girl. When I tell you, it was the, I already took the ACT and I was going to take it twice. And I did a really good job on the first time in the mm-hmm. ACT. And so my mom was like, okay, you need to take it again. Girl, everybody was up there. The football players were up there looking crazy. That was the night we won the championship. I was up there looking crazy. And my ACT score was significantly different the second time. Like, to the point where my mom was like, well, I'm glad I'm already proud of your first score. Well, I took the SAT twice. I scored 10 points higher. And I was like, I'm not doing this again. Mm. I was I was arrested for both of my tests. So Shit. I remember everybody drug their ass into school and it was a Saturday morning, of course. And it was a whole bunch of football players. I was like, I don't even know why y'all even decided to even stay for this day or test on this day because you knew we was gonna win the state championship because that's what um, we did in high school. Um so I guess, you know, with proper preparation there shouldn't be that much variance. True. <laughs> so it was like she's kind of looking like a bit of a liar here. Then they start getting into, you know, was she on medicine and was the medicine um that they were giving her melting her out and they actually had her on antidepressants and antipsychotics, but they was like it was more like a sedative. It wasn't affecting her mental state. He's like, he's like, she's still functional. She's still able to comprehend things. All in all, they're like, yeah, she's only sedated. She's not that heavy on medicine. She's fine. You know, they're focusing on what's going on now so they can get to the case. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, we decided that she's fit to stand through the proceedings. So now they're like, okay, let's get started on this case. So she's trying to amend her statement or whatever. She's trying to amend her petition. And she has two affidavits. One is from physician orders saying that she was under drugs during the time she was through trial. Mm. And then the other one is an affidavit from her brother, John. And he's saying, you know, they have the perjury things in there, but he basically states that his sister never graduated from grammar school. She never attended high school, that she was illiterate. She'd been using heroin, cocaine since she was 14. And she was taken to, to the hospital in an ambulance when she was hit by a car at 11 years old. Mm-hmm. So he's like, I'm, I'm telling y'all all of this stuff is true because everybody else is saying that she's a liar. I'm, I'm telling y'all, she I don't know what y'all saying. Everything that they're saying, like she's like she's she's not a liar. All of this stuff actually did happen to her. Mm-hmm. There's several things that could affect her mental health between the drugs, between the no- lack of education, between being hit by a car, between just not being the brightest to start off with. Mm-hmm. She had a lot working against her. So they, they're able to change their petition. They're like, listen, y'all didn't tell the courts that I was mentally incompetent. Y'all didn't tell, act like it was an issue that I'm taking psychotics during a trial. Y'all didn't suppress my confession, even though I'm illiterate and I have a mental defect. So I don't know that I raised my rights. And y'all didn't. Think of it to be a mitigating factor when sentencing me to death. Like, I didn't consider that. Right. So, because you really have to take it as a jury. Because they could have just. Jury. Given, oh, right. She did it just for a judge. Yeah. The judge did it and she, she blames that too. She was like, I didn't understand what that meant. So, so the state's like, throw it out. It's, it's all a lie. And the courts are like, yeah, we agree. So she goes up again trying to make this same argument. Mm-hmm. And in 2002, 
they agree that, okay, maybe some things weren't right and maybe you are a bit mentally challenged and maybe you might be illiterate. Maybe you didn't have the best and most fair trial that you probably could have had. All of that seemed not to really matter in the long run because in 2003, the, the governor of Illinois commuted all of the sentence of everybody on death row in 2003 it was like he, he was like all y'all are just gonna do life with no possibility of parole so saved by the bell yeah yeah i think i think they accepted that she was she had some problems during her case but mm-hmm. it wasn't big enough or concerning enough for them to give her a whole new trial right but she was saved According by the bell them. anyways yep all righty y'all it is time for well i'm not black I'm OJ. I ain't do it. But if I did, this is how I would have got away with it. You want to go first? You want me to go first? I ain't do it. But if I did, I don't think it's no need to kill. I think I think she's been fine just robbing them and getting away with it. I think the murder is kind of up to the step and kind of. Right. I feel like she just kept up trying to top herself. Like at first it was just robbery. Then it was like armed robbery and then it was armed robbery with torture and then it was strength killing and not just killing, but killing by strangulation, which is. You think she had like a um a mice of men situation? And it was been. like a shh, shh, shh. And it's like, oh, you're dead. Mm, Could have been. um, But also it's I don't know why she would kill Mary because like the first two. She killed them because they owed her money. And she got upset and things, you know. Because she sex work is real work. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I stand beside that sex work is real work. And as she performed a choice. A, as yeah. long as it's a choice. And she performed a service and they didn't pay her and she got mad and she, she killed them. I don't think killing somebody over $50 is worth that at all. But, like, that's what set her off. And that's I what set her off. what set her off with Mary. Exactly. And I feel like. Also, it seems like she's a bit greedy because if you do the if you do a, if you do a task for someone, you usually don't get paid for the task until the task is complete. So if you give me two dollars to go get you some milk and I get the milk, then I'm gonna come back and be like, okay. I mean, even tip? more greedy because she went to the other man. Give me, give me some money to get a beer. Give me guy a shot. You ask nicely, and if I don't got it, I don't owe you shit. Mm-hmm. Even if I do got it, I don't owe you shit. It's my money, right? Yeah, I didn't do it, but if I did, I definitely would have found some new elderly homes to go around because why well, she you... was trying and she got kicked out for trespassing. Because you, they know your face. They said it she don't got old. no family, no friends. She don't live here. Like, there's no reason for her to be up here. Why are you at the same place over and over and over and over and over again? I just feel like, oh, people should just be left alone. They already had to live a whole life. And now your ass is going to come and kill them. Or terrorize them. Exactly. Grabbing their tongue out their mouth and shit. Oh, come on now. Um, parole and no parole. Parole and no parole. Hell no. To the no, no, I hope no. along with these medicine, this medicine that they're giving her, they're giving her some actual psychiatric help. Some actual therapy. And even though she is spending the rest of her natural born life in prison, like it's she still needs, not too late. You can still like get yourself together. And maybe help somebody else. I mean... It wouldn't be in like the education sector because, yeah. But maybe she can be influential in other places. Exactly, exactly. But nah, keep her ass. Yeah, feel sorry. Not really sorry. She's a menace to society. 
Very much so. All right, let's read some reviews. Uh, what are the people saying this week? Okay. This is from Tahar144. I love, love, love this. I'm going to see your podcast. And first, let me say this. Please, please, please never stop posting new content. The sound of y'all voices telling the stories is very common to me. I don't know what it is. I went on a road trip and binge you guys, and y'all helped the time go by. You guys really know how to tell a story, and you never dry up. Super funny. I love how both of you show your personality and share your thoughts on everything. I had to put a face to the name, so I'm following you guys on Instagram and TikTok. Love you guys and keep it up. Thanks, girl. Thanks. Even though no one can find Tazzy's real Instagram. <laughs> she doesn't want you all to find her. She doesn't use it. I don't use it. But she doesn't want you to find Maybe Mariah's trying to get me to use my other Instagram for you guys. Yes, I do. We're manifesting good things over here, all right? Maybe. You'll be able to find her soon. <laughs> all righty. This one is from Chocolate Lady from Iowa. She says, OMG, I love y'all so much. Feel like you right there with your good girlfriends talking about killers. Keep up the great work, ladies. And yes, they talk back. <laughs> Yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah, we do. I think we pretty much always talk back unless you talk to us about Michelle Blair. On the discussion group, we tend to always talk back. But once it gets to like TikTok and Instagram, I do what I can. Yeah. It's flooded. You'll get more interaction on Twitter and the discussion group. Yeah. And maybe an email. Don't get crazy. Yeah, emails definitely get responded to. All right, that's the end of our show, friend. We did it. Another week. Dear God. All righty. If you want to find us, keep up with us, say hey. You can email us if you'd like to just say hello. If you want to purchase ad space at sisterswhokillpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on Instagram, it's sisterswhokillpod. If you want to follow us on Twitter, it's sisterswhokill. TikTok, sisterswhokillpodcast. And you can also join the discussion group. Make sure that you answer all my questions and stop inviting your auntie and them into my discussion group. A chick got mad because... uh. She didn't get accepted because she said she didn't listen to an episode. And that sounds like a whole bunch of not my problem. All righty. You have anything else, friend? Talk to us. We talk back. Peace.